Jeremiah is a, quite, a, quite a character. Somebody read about Sometimes they call him the weeping prophet. He wrote Lamentations when he finished Jeremiah, just seeing the destruction that was wrought upon God's people because of their disobedience, and yet how God continued to preserve his remnant. Aren't you glad to be a part of God's remnant that he preserves, that he's committed to? Even in these times of upheaval, times like uh, Jeremiah and Baruch lived through. Jeremiah prophesied for about 40 years, and uh, this is a very interesting uh, fact. He had about two converts that you can pick up in Scripture. One was his secretary who we read a prophecy about, or Murray did in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 45. The other is a man named Abedmelech. He was an Ethiopian eunuch in the court of the king who delivered Jeremiah out of a cistern full of mud before it strangled him and killed him. So uh, those two men were dedicated to Jeremiah to some extent. As we look this morning, I just want us to consider this whole idea of how God chose Jeremiah before he was known, before he was formed in his mother's womb, before he was given birth. God called him to be a prophet to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the ethnos, as well as to, to Israel and to Judah. And he was to speak, in a sense, to be a kind of a wrecking ball, uh, tearing down those things that God himself had built up in order that God might push a reset button, a divine reset button, and restore things to a pristine condition, even greater than pristine, because the destiny that you and I have as those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than what Adam and Eve ever knew, and it will go on and on for all eternity. But anyway, there was a time for a reset. So we, we have to first of all see that God has the right, it's His purpose to restore all things, and He has the right to destroy those things that are out of order with His purposes, and we see Him do that throughout Scripture and people's personal lives as he kind of rakes through the coals of their being and through the coals of judgment and also in the reset that we see in uh, Noah in uh, Genesis chapter 6 through 9. But I want us to look today at this whole idea of the treasure because the treasure of life that we're seeking, sometimes we get crosswise with what that is or we mis, uh, misconceive what it is to have a treasure or what it is that we're supposed to treasure in life. And I think by looking at Jeremiah and Baruch in particular, we'll find out what that is. So here's Baruch, a man that was the secretary to Jeremiah. And his job was to take dictation and then to present what Jeremiah had dictated to him in the court of the king or wherever he sent him. And by the time we get to Jeremiah chapter 45, Jeremiah's experienced a lot of difficulty in delivering the message. He's been told by God up front, don't be afraid of these folks. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be the one that speaks judgment, but I'm going to be the one that takes care of you. So remember that. Hold on to that. Well, Jeremiah forgot that sometimes. When pressures, when persecutions were very heavy, he would cry out to God and scream to God a lot like Job did and say, what have you done? You betrayed me. You lied to me. You said it was going to be this way, and it's turned out this way, and I need some help here. You know, where are you? And so Jeremiah worked through those issues as he was honest before God, and God reproved him, corrected him, established him. And now he finds out that his secretary, Baruch, is kind of in the same situation he'd found himself in earlier. And so this is a very great thing to consider. Here's this little letter to Baruch, placed right in the middle of the prophecies of Jeremiah, that's established in the heavens for eternity. Isn't that an amazing thing to have this little letter? You get a personal letter from God. That's a real collector's item right there. Wouldn't you like to have that with God's signature on it? That'd bring a lot of money at an auction. But here's a word from God. Jehovah says to you, Baruch. Because what had happened is at one point, God uh, tells Jeremiah to write down, make sure Baruch gets every word down, take this to the court of the temple and have 
Baruch read this in the court of the temple. So Baruch takes these 36 chapters, you back this up, it's about 604 B.C. in the court of the temple, and Baruch shows up with this scroll, and he begins to read all these words. Well, it so happens that there's men from the court of the king there at the temple at that particular time when Baruch is reading these prophecies against the nation and what God is doing, and they, they begin to pale. They, wow, this is not good. We better get this to the king. And so they take a copy from Baruch. They know it's not safe probably for him to go and read before King Zedekiah. So they give a copy or they take the copy from Baruch and they go and read it in the hearing of the king. And as the king hears this scroll read, he takes his pocket knife out. He cuts it into little slivers and throws it into a fire pot beside him. Can you imagine taking the word of God and trying to destroy it? People have tried to do that for thousands of years, and it never works out well for them, and the Word of God continues to endure. But under that pressure, seeing that the king now has put a contract out on Jeremiah and on Baruch, and by the way, I, I forgot to mention this in 830, but the word, the name Baruch means blessed one. But he's not feeling blessed. He's feeling cursed. And he's crying out to God. He's crying out like Jeremiah had cried out to God. God, you know, this is bad. I'm, I'm looking for another job. I've already got my resume. It's sent out to the Jerusalem Post. I'm sent, I've sent it everywhere. I'm trying to get out from under this. God tells Jeremiah, go and tell him that I have a word for him, that I'm speaking to him. I see his heart. And so when Jeremiah shows up with this word, it closes by saying this, Baruch, I know that you are looking for great things for yourself. Don't seek those things. I'm bringing destruction on all flesh. I'm pushing the reset button on my people and upon this age, and I'm going to bring it to completion. But wherever you go, Baruch, wherever you speak, wherever I send you, I have given you your soul as bounty. Your life is your own treasure. Now, that's a great thing to know, isn't it? That wherever we go, whatever we encounter in life, wherever we are, in the middle of COVID or whatever else it is, God has given to us in Christ Jesus our soul as a bounty. That is the treasure that God has entrusted to us. And now he's looking to see, what am I going to do with this treasure that I have? Remember that song we sang when we were kids? Maybe we'll sing it again one of these days when there's no COVID. Come, they told me, pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. A newborn king. You get, you know, I'll play my best for him. I'll play my drum for him. That's all he had was a drum. But he was going to play that drum for the king. And so Baruch, wherever he goes, wherever he speaks, he brings this treasure. His life in his hands given to God. Surrendered to God. Because you see, the real treasure in life is not the gifts and the calling of the Holy Spirit except being called and having our name inscribed on the palm of God's hand and in the Lamb's book of life. And we offer our lives back to God is what our real treasure is. We've heard the last couple of weeks about how we honor God with our talents and with our time. But if those things are not informed by the reality that our life has been given to God as a treasure, we can get off base like Baruch and Jeremiah did, thinking that we ought to be drawing from this age, from this life, and from what we do, satisfaction, you know, and contentment I've preached a lot of sermons I've been preaching for 41 years I've preached a lot of sermons taught a lot of Bible classes you know got a lot of downs <laughs> got some ups you know but you know that those ups which are nice to have they don't suffice because the real treasure is God himself and he wants to be that treasure to us so the premise of looking at this and what would what did and what should have held Jeremiah and Baruch captive to begin with is this. It's what God declared through Moses in Deuteronomy in chapter 4. He said, 
I love you, Israel. I have loved you. The first time in Scripture that God declares He loves somebody, He says, I love you not because you're great, not because you're the most populous nation, not because you've really done that well. I love you because I am love and I choose to love you. And this is what he tells Jeremiah when he selects him from before his mother's conception, before he comes out of his mother's womb. He has selected, he's chosen Jeremiah out of love to be his messenger, to share with him and his passions and his desires for people. And then he flings him out into that ministry. And God still says the same thing. I've chosen you because I love you. I've chosen you. Don't ever get the gift confused with the giver. It's not the gifts that we want to honor. It's not the creation that we want to honor. It's the giver. It's the benefactor. It's the giver. He's the treasure. Jesus Christ. He's the treasure. And so this is the whole premise of having a life that's steady, that's solid, giving our life back to God. So Jesus says this astounding thing. He says, whoever would save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, that is whoever gives his life to me and to the kingdom and for the kingdom's sake, they will find that. You see, we can only really find what life is and only how valuable this treasure is as we give it away, which is a very anti-intuitive thing, isn't it? That it is in giving that we receive. I think I heard some mendicant begging priest say that somewhere, you know. It's in giving ourselves up to God that we receive. But we got a problem. We've got this problem. Jeremiah and Baruch faced it. As we realize that there are treasures, that there are things in life that we desire, we begin to substitute those for the giver. It's just kind of a default mode. So we take the gifts of God. We think these are the most precious things, what I can accomplish, what I can do, the neat things that God has given me to work with. But those gifts are simply tools. They're like breadcrumbs that lead to the baker, that lead to the bread of life. We're to follow those things. We're to let them do their work in our life. But we need to realize that these things all lead to the person of Christ Jesus. That none of Scripture is despair. It all comes back to the head. It all comes back to Jesus. He's the treasure. And so when Baruch and when Jeremiah got a little confused, and it, it's easy to get confused in life, isn't it? Because the world and the flesh and the devil are always trying to feed us different things, some other agenda they've got that if you do this, then woo, you're really going to be happy then. You know, you're going to have fulfillment. But the fulfillment is only in looking upon Jesus and knowing him. And so we have this problem. It's called, it's called sin. It's those things that try to integrate themselves into our innermost being and begin to inform. And so we'll, we're going to look here in a minute in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but those things can really distort the purposes of God. They can really get the church off of track. And so we have to be aware of these things. We have to do as we did just a few minutes ago. We come to God and we confess, I'm honest, God. I'm honest. I, I've got a compromised heart here. I, things make me want to go after them. I want to do this. I want to get that accomplished. But remember this. Remember this. Jeremiah had two converts in the 40 years of ministry. But he was an absolute success. He was an absolute success because he kept pressing in to know God, to know His Word, to declare His Word, to declare the glories and the goodness and the power and the might of the everlasting, ever-living God. So when he came home, he would have heard those words that Jesus spoke about. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a little, two converts. Welcome, come into the joy of your Master. And that's what we're looking for, isn't it? That whole welcoming situation at the end of the age. And God's given us His Word to get us there. So if you'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read this very famous chapter. 
And as I always think about it, it's, it's on everybody's refrigerator door. Just, you know, on the magnet. Say it at all the weddings. And so we're going to read this again. Letting God give us fresh eyes. So if you would, pray with me. Father, again, we come to you. Your word is, is great. It brings light. The entrance of your word brings light. It brings understanding. God, it's a searchlight. It's a healing laser, God. We thank you for it. God, help us. Help us now as the prophet knew and prayed for the people that we would have ears to hear you, eyes to see you, God, hearts, the very depth of our being to respond to you, and then our mouths to praise you because of it. So come, Holy Spirit, write in the tablet of our heart, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's been speaking about gifts and some of the dynamics that God has placed in the body, callings. And he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. I think this is really speaking to where Barak and Jeremiah were. They had these gifts, they had these callings, and they were employing them, and they weren't really getting where they thought they ought to be and where they wanted to be. But underneath that was the love of God and sharing his vision, his heart with them, his truth with them. And they needed to see behind that calling that God was the real treasure. He was the thing to go after. And so when we try to take the gifts of God, which God freely gives, and and we begin to elevate them as something to draw a lot of satisfaction from or the be-all and the end-all, we miss the point and we miss love and our life begins to just kind of be tinny. Even if we have tremendous faith and we do tremendous miracles, even if we give our bodies up to be burned, we don't have any love, we, we kind of still end up empty and go, what, what's the deal? I, I thought this was going to be satisfaction. But these things are more or less utilitarian. They're for a purpose. They're like the breadcrumbs on the trail. They're things that God gives in order to stimulate in us a desire for more, and that more is Him. So I was thinking as I was reading this week, I went back to Augustine's Confessions, and Augustine penned this this statement that some theologians think this is the best statement that's been issued about what Christianity is like since the canon of the Bible was closed. He said this, he said, Because you have created us for yourself, we are restless until we find our rest in you. That's really a key off of Revelation 4.11 that we just read about. Because we've been created for God, we're restless because we haven't got home yet, have we? We are not home yet. We are not home yet. And we are restless to see God face to face. But we can get distracted. We get caught up in eddy currents. We get pulled this way or that way by doctrines and by fashions and by worship experience all these things that God intends to draw us out and keep us coming toward him somehow they get distorted in our hearts sometimes and we miss the fact that God is saying come on come on home but because we've been made by God for God our hearts remain restless until we rest in him and we can only rest in him when we give our lives back to him when we take the treasure that he's given us the bounty of our own soul and life and we put it back into the hands of Jesus as an offering to him our treasure here Jesus take my treasure we know that when we arrive before God in eternity that we're going to throw down whatever we've got that he's given us in worship to him 
We might as well go empty-handed now. We might as well just keep on tossing those things down, putting those things behind us and continuing to give our life into God's hands. And so this whole idea of, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the offices that God has given us, we need to see those as what they are. They're tools to bring glory and honor and praise to God. But one of these days, we're going to see more fully. And so this is what Paul says in these next few verses, starting in verse 4. Speaking of the nature of God, which is unfolded here, spoken of in 1 John 4, and unfolded in these few verses, love is patient and kind. Haven't you found God to be patient and kind with you? Hasn't he been patient and kind with you with all the dumb mistakes you've made, all the misunderstandings you've entertained, all the things that you have really put on a pedestal? Have you ever had, have you ever had people in your life that you kind of idolized and you wanted to emulate a mentor, we want to emulate, you know, some of the things of a mentor. And Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But we can't be those people. We're not called to be those people. We're called uniquely and fashioned uniquely to be instruments in the hands of God, our life really, given back to Him. And so I think about people I like in church history especially. I really like Bernard of Clairvaux. I just like that word, Clairvaux. Bernard of Clairvaux, he spoke about four levels of love. And he said, you know, in, in fact, this is an interesting thing because the Reformers kind of tossed everything in the waste can from Augustine until they showed up in the 16th century. Except for Bernard of Clairvaux, they really liked this guy because he had this understanding that life in Christ was all about love. And he said, listen, he said, we start out at this place. We love self for self's sake. We do, don't we? How many of y'all love yourself? There's, there's mental illness when we don't love ourselves. We're, we're, called, we're made to love ourselves. We're, we're made to enjoy ourselves. But that can become a lust if we're not careful. So he says we have this level. We love ourselves for ourselves. Then we begin to learn to love God for ourselves. Because we cry out to Him and He shows up and does things for us. He comforts us. He heals us. He leads us. And we say, I love God. He does stuff for me. So we love God for self's sake. But Bernard of Clairvaux says, but there's another step to go up. To begin to love yourself, excuse me, to begin to love God for yourself and then to love God for himself. To love God for himself. Isn't it amazing when you can sit and, and just think and, boy, I just love Jesus. I just love Jesus. He's, he's so perfect in all that he does. He's so kind. He's so powerful. He's such a servant. To love God for God's sake. But Bernard said there's one more. It's to love self for God's sake. That's where we turn and we give ourselves to God. Do with me whatever you want. It makes no difference, only that I might know you. And it's hard to live at that level. In fact, most people think you hardly ever get to that level, but every once in a while you taste it. So I was thinking about this time, about 37 years ago, I was hiking with a couple of guys in the White Mountain Wilderness, two friends of mine from my church. And I got up on the saddle. They, they stayed down at the camp for some reason. We were just kind of splitting up for a little bit in the daytime. And I got up on the saddle and I looked across this beautiful scenery, these mountains and valleys, a great sunshiny day, probably 65 degrees up on the mountain, no wind. And I was enjoying that. And I just, after I came to it, I realized I just kind of lost myself in creation. As God surrounded me with this backdrop of what He had made in order to entertain me because of His love for me, and I just lost myself, and I came to it, and I said, wow, can I stay here forever? And I couldn't. I had to turn around and go back to Randall and to Dave, and I had to take that knowledge of God and somehow begin to interpret that to them, 
to live with them, to continue to live with them, and to show them somehow the love and the goodness of God. And then I realized, hey, in a couple of days, I'm going to have to go down the mountain, and I'm going to have to take it back into my congregation. God's called me to live out life as him, him being the treasure. That's not easy to do because of sin. But God gives grace upon grace, and we keep going. So this whole problem we have with sin, God said, I'm, I'm overruling that. I'm overcoming that. In fact, he says this in Deuteronomy. After he tells them that God loves them, he says, Now you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your mind, with all that you are. You'll love the Lord your God. You notice that, uh, that sounds like a, you know, like a future indicative tense, doesn't it? We don't have that in English, but they do in Portuguese and Spanish. You shall love the Lord your God. Right now, we don't. We can't because we've got brokenness in us that we don't dispose of until the resurrection. But you shall, God says, I'm prophesying, this will be true of you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. That day's coming when we see Jesus face to face and we're like him because Jesus did for 33 years love his father with everything within him. He gave himself back to his father day after day, night after night. He gave himself because his father was his treasure and he calls us to imitate that, to become like that and it will be done on earth, in us, even as it is in heaven now. That's the day we're looking for, isn't it? Through, through all the COVID, through all the things that we may incur and encounter in the future, God still is going to make that true for those who give their life back to Him. Those who don't try to save their life because then you lose it. But to give your life up, that's to find it. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. So one last thing that I wanted to share with you, and this kind of closes out that idea. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And so we keep coming. We keep coming back to God day after day, year after year. We keep presenting ourselves. We give Him our being. We give Him who we are. We are His delight. He is our treasure. And we keep coming back and giving Him. So I want to sing this song to you that's... uh, it was written by George Matheson, Scottish, a Scottish pastor. And I changed the words a little bit because he used a lot of these and thys. But let this be a kind of a benediction, a blessing to us, and an invitation to do as he sought to do. Oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in you. I give you back the life I owe, that in your ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. 
O light that follows all my way, I yield my flickering torch to you. My heart restores its borrowed ray, that in your sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. O joy that seeks me through the pain, I cannot close my heart to you. I trace the rainbow through the rain, and feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. O cross that lifted up my head, I dare not ask to fly from you. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red. Life that shall endless be. Life that shall endless be. Lord, we look to you. God, you have created us. You have made us. God, we give ourselves back to you. Be glorified in us. God, be glorified in us. Come, Father, brood over us. Work in us. Equip us. But God, help us never put the gift above you, God. You are the giver. You are the blessing. Thank you for blessing us all in Jesus' name. Amen.